How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to another edition of Bose Football Final here at the Brick House on KHON2.com. And everywhere you listen to podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, the big brother I always wanted, Spectrum Sports Analyst, former University of Hawaii player and coach, Rich Miano. And coach, that was a tough one. The University of Hawaii football team goes up to Carson, California to face off against San Diego State, a third road game in four weeks, and they get it handed to them. 34 to 10, the Aztecs live up to the hype in regards of being a strong and powerful team, both offensively and defensively. We'll break down a lot of the action that went down, the individual performances, and of course, the steps moving ahead. But first things first, when you look at that San Diego State game, as the University of Hawaii now sits at two and two on the season, what was the biggest takeaway in your eyes from that Bose loss? I think the positive takeaway was that the defense uh, started the game fast. They played hard. They did not quit. They, they made a lot of plays uh, in the backfield tackles for losses. You know, they were attacking. They were much more physical. I think that was impressive. Offensively, you know, you got to question whether this pass protection is uh, schematically correct, being taught the right techniques. Uh, physically, we thought that these, you know, five offensive linemen were good enough. Um, did Chevron hold the ball a couple times, maybe too long? Uh, is the back helping in protection? Are the receivers running the right routes? I don't think there was 11 people on the same page, a whole bunch on that offensive side of the ball. So the most disappointing thing is the inability to sustain drives and put points on the scoreboard. Yeah, when you look at this offense struggling to find consistency here in 2020 under first-year head coach Todd Graham, you look at the Fresno State game where they came out of the gate swinging, where they, they were able to put up over 300 yards rushing. They were able to control the line of scrimmage really on both sides of the ball. And since that game, you saw them in more cases than not lose that battle in the trenches. You see them not being able to find a rhythm in regards to the passing game and the running game, both working at the same time against Wyoming. They're able to run the ball, but not be able to throw the ball against New Mexico. They threw the ball, but wasn't able to run the ball. And then here against San Diego state, you didn't really have anything until late in the game in regards to offense. So when you look at that first half, seven punts and seven first downs at the end of the game, 66 yards rushing. Can you put your fingerprint on what is happening here with this University of Hawaii offense? Well, I think if you break it down technically, and, you know, we get to talk to R.J. Hollis, and I talk to some other people, I am, I'm not sure that they're anticipating by pre-snap alignment what type of stunts they're going to see. And then, you know, in the same breath, if New Mexico under Rocky Long had 30 different pressure looks and 13 different coverages, this was maybe 50 different looks. I mean, this was a scheme with better athletes that play better technique, that are more disciplined. And I knew coming into this game, because of the loss the week before San Diego State suffered to San Jose State, by even though they turned it over offensively, I think they were more upset that they allowed San Jose State to score in the fourth quarter. This doesn't happen to this football team. And when you watch them rush the passer, they understood Shevin Cadero, we talked about their offensive court, their defensive coordinator, Kurt Maddox, energy drinks, uh, caffeine, not sleeping at night, worrying about Shevin Cadero, worrying about him extending plays, beating you with the legs, Robin. If you've ever been to a practice where you face a guy who's just that athletic and that uh, mobile, 
you basically have your defensive ends go up to the level of the football. You have your inside pass rushers stay in their lane, but they start off with all kinds of movement in different alignments, but they end up being so disciplined that he had nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. He couldn't pirouette out of that. It was like, it was almost like a, a parachute in terms of they had that thing compressed. And when I say compressed, there was, you know, he had 11 scrambles in the first half. He only got past two yards three times. This guy's a phenomenally elusive, talented runner, but yet San Diego State had better athletes. They were more disciplined. They had a better scheme, and they showed different looks. And Hawaii was not able to pick up the different pressures. And that was the difference in this ballgame. Yeah, you mentioned Chevin Cordero being under constant pressure, sacked seven times, flushed out of the pocket more than a dozen times. He finished with 20 carries for 20 yards. He had one design run. And, and as you mentioned, a couple of times he was able to get first downs on runs. So that just shows you uh, the amount of losses that he took in that game in regards to just being chased out of the pocket. He would finish 17 to 35, 209 yards passing, a touchdown, an interception. As you mentioned, the seven sacks with his leading receiver being Calvin Turner, four catches, 116 yards and a touchdown. And that came on a 75 yard reception. Um, and we'll be talking about Calvin Turner in, in just a little bit, but Going back to what you mentioned, the offensive line. And if you remember, we had a special Bose football final when the depth chart came out and we talked about this offensive line. There, there are so many questions with this team, but the one question you're not going to have is that who will lead this team? And it was going to be the anchors up, up in that offensive line with the, the amount of starts that they have coming back. You, you talked about the five offensive linemen, but really it's six because Michael Elatise, Cole Vau, interchangeable in regards to being a, a starter based on the experience. So how frustrating do you think it must be for these players who are coming off of a season that they're highly touted and everyone coming back and to be able to be met with this kind of adversity in the season where through four games, you can, um, for lack of a better term, you could point at the line being probably the biggest question mark now four games in. Yeah, it, it reminded me of 2007, the Sugar Bowl 2007 against Georgia, where we could not block the athleticism in the movement of that front four, which became five or six, and, and in this case, sometimes seven. Um, what you know, but we, we've seen remnants of 20 personnel, which means there's two backs in the backfield to help those five offensive linemen. I'm surprised at halftime or even earlier, we didn't see more 20 personnel, which gives you maximum protection. All we didn't see, uh, and I'm drawing a blank, uh, Thomas, Derek Thomas, mm -hmm. number 48, line up in that wing position to chip the defensive end so they could slide away from him. So, you know, it wouldn't put so much onus on that running back. And, you know, are the backs, uh, you know, a uh, uh, are they good in protection? I'm not really sure, but we expected this front five to be not only be physical in terms of athletic with both Il Manning and Gene Pryor, but we expected Tahanga to, uh, to Ulima and Solo Vaipulu and Kolovao or Michael Elatisi to see that the end is in a seven. He's coming down. There's going to be a looper, you know, to anticipate them, to be talking about that. Is it because they're in a three-point instead of a two-point? Are they not getting out of their stands quick enough? Are they not recognizing pressure? This is the toughest test they'll have all season in terms of great athletes, great scheme, uh, great belief in what they do. But it is. I mean, the first game, we had five sacks. The first, second game, we had four sacks. The third game in the second half, they played their best football against New Mexico. But 
you have to start questioning whether this is the same group we anticipated in the preseason. I really believe this. Those seven sacks should have been 17 sacks. If you don't have Chevron Cordero, I mean, if, even if you had Kyler Murray back there, I'm sure that it's going to be a similar sack total. They were just getting pressured. And it's not an easy assignment. They'll never face a tougher assignment than that, that those athletic front four, five, six, seven guys they saw. And there's nobody in the country that moves more than they do. I mean, they're doing stunts, Rob. Even if you communicate it properly, you still have a hard time picking up. So this was the toughest test they'll ever have, and they, but they need to get better. Yeah, let's talk about Chevin Cordero and his progress through four games here of the 2020 season, redshirt sophomore season where it's his first opportunity to be the man at quarterback because he had split time with Cole McDonald over the first two seasons. And when you look at everything that he's been through, uh, as we mentioned, 17 sacks on the year, 122 yards lost. He's a 60% passer, 958 yards passing, five touchdowns, four interceptions. But given the circumstances that we had just talked about with that offensive line having trouble this year, him being under constant pressure, how would you rate his performance to this point? And do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Do you see that, you know, Shevin is making what he can work in regards to getting out of the pocket, as you mentioned? I mean, it should have been 20 sacks, but he was able to limit it to seven based on his mobility. But are you concerned at all about the long-term effects of these first four games and him being under that constant pressure moving forward? Yeah, I'm concerned a little bit physically, maybe a little bit more mentally, but I do think that he has the ability to bounce back. I remember the New Mexico game, the first uh, drive was like seven on seven and he spread the ball around. He did everything. Then the offense stalled a little bit, but in that second half when he ended up throwing for over 400 yards, you know, we've seen the ability for him to extend plays. We've seen him make all the throws. Uh, you know, it's almost like this offense still does not have an identity run the ball for over 300 against Fresno, pass the ball for over 400 against New Mexico, Wyoming laid an egg. This game to me laid another egg, but I still think that there's confidence in that room. There's enough good receivers. There's Calvin Turner, who you got to get more involved in this offense. I, I don't think Chevin's going to be lacking confidence. Matter of fact, I think even though Boise state may be the best team in this mountain West conference, I think Chevron will have more success being at home. I think uh, they'll, you know, they'll have they'll have much more chunk type of plays next next week. But uh, it is something that I think, as a fan, as an analyst, you have to ask yourself: What is the identity of this offense? Are they a rhythmic passing game? Do they rep the passing game enough in practice for everybody involved to be comfortable? Good question. Yeah, and you mentioned Calvin Turner Jr., definitely one of the breakout players from that game against San Diego State, one of the bright spots. There weren't too many, but he was certainly the one on offense where you look at 155 yards of total offense in that game. He had the dazzling 75-yard touchdown. And on the season, he has 31 touches for 365 yards and four touchdowns. You said the magic words just a few seconds ago. How do you get Calvin Turner more involved in every single game and making sure that no one is getting more touches than number seven. Yeah. And we've seen a little bit glimpses of that. We didn't see it too much against New Mexico and maybe because they were so successful. We, we see seen them live at, line up at a wide receiver and have two in one, two of the most exciting plays we've seen uh, this season have come from Calvin Turner. But 
what I'm talking about is, do you need the Wildcat? Well, it depends. I don't think the Wildcat would have been successful against uh, San Diego State because they would have loaded up all the gaps. They would have pressured everywhere. They would have shut down that run game. But you got the bubble screen packages. You have the ability to get him uh, down the field on some uh, switch routes off of uh, the run and shoot concepts and stuff like that. You have the ability to get the ball in his hands on fly sweeps. There is, uh, I think, a bigger place in the playbook in, in this in the game planning for Calvin Turner because those two plays he made on consecutive weeks, when he made the New Mexico uh, secondary look like they were poor tacklers and poor athletes, people thought maybe they were. But he made San Diego State look bad in the back end. And his vision and his ability to turn an average play into a touchdown, he runs stronger than the 190 pounds he is. He has great hips. He has great hands. He has great vision. And you're right. Can you put him in the backfield and actually hand the ball off? Can you run speed option, read option, RPO, uh, inside zone with him? I would imagine you can. Oh, well, we'll see what the University of Hawaii offense does because certainly through four games of the season, he is the most dazzling player on this Rainbow Warrior offense. Calvin Turner Jr. having himself a breakout season in his first season at the University of Hawaii. Of course, coming from Jacksonville University where he was a quarterback there. That program folded, which allowed him to then come to UH. And remember, he committed to the University of Hawaii under Nick Rolovich as a slot back. He came here to be a slot back. Todd Graham comes in here when he takes over for Rolo and says, no, I got different plans for you. I can do a lot more. Uh, and, and really, he's become the Swiss Army knife of this UH football team. Now, let's talk a little bit about the UH defense in this game. Obviously, gave up over 300 yards rushing. They have now given up over 200 yards rushing in three straight games. And when you look at 300 yards rushing, that's also on over 50 carries for this San Diego State offense. They were given a whole lot. I mean, that's still over five yards per carry, but the 300 number becomes a little less you know, shocking when you find out that they ran the ball over 50 times. Um, but with all that being said, you know, I had a, a take in the, uh, the, the post-game show on Spectrum Sports that um, didn't go over too well to some people. But really, I, mean, I want to get your thoughts on this. The, the UH defense as a whole, I viewed as a plus game against San Diego State. Yes, you had the two long runs. But when you look at what they did uh, against the Aztecs with a program record tying 15 tackles for loss, you have given up only 17 natural points. And that's the two long touchdown runs and a field goal in the fourth quarter. Uh, the other points came from a fumble on special teams that put the ball in the red zone, came on a pick six that was cashed in right there. And then it came on a strip sack fumble that was cashed in for a field goal. So do you agree that in the four quarters, the overall picture of this game, this University of Hawaii defense provided more to be optimistic about than to be concerned about yeah rob and if i had to grade them and obviously as a football coach we don't grade a b c d f but i would say the defense was a c the offense was an f and the special teams was a d but you know giving them a c also includes the fact that they almost set a record for tackles for losses and, and plays behind the line of scrimmage all the way back to pisa tonoy samoa against alabama and i think it was 2004 and i remember that game 2003 20 tackles. So they were like the, like, Oh, for his, a perfect example. They started the fight. They started the war. They won the first three series. They had San Diego state backed up punting, giving their offense, good field position. So 
I was so impressed how they came out of the gate, how they came out of the box, how they came out of the locker room, how they were attacking. You knew eventually without any adrenaline, without any, the passion dies down a little bit because the offense couldn't move the ball. And they're going to be, you know, once in a while, Greg Bell's going to break a uh, run, Chance Bell, Bird. You know, this running game is going to find a crack. And if they get to the second or third level, they're going to make some people miss. So you just knew it was a matter of time, but you were hoping the offense could do something to give these guys a little break, keep them off the field, and also give them a, some an adrenaline rush so that they could believe that they were in this football game. And that really never happened, at least till after the half. So, yeah, there was some, I mean, Jonah Laulu, best game I've seen him play, and he's coming into his own. Panay Pavi, by far, playing both the defensive end and the inside backer position, best game we've seen at least in since two years when he was one of the best players on the Rainbow Warrior defense. Muasau is going to have 100 tackles. He's a machine. He's a great leader. Corey Bethley, besides the tackle he missed on the sidelines, was all around the football. And Quentin, big play, Frazier, continues to make big plays. I'm with you, Rob. You know, I know that some of the fans out there think that this defense didn't play well. Shoot. You know what? They made a lot of plays, but they got no help by their offense. Yeah, and when you look at what they did to the San Diego State passing game, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I'm talking about, where if I had told you before kickoff that, okay, this UH defense is going to hold San Diego State's passing game to go 4 of 13 for 60 yards. No, excuse me, 30 yards. 4 of 13 for 30 yards, two interceptions, and give up 17 points defensively. You take that 100 times out of 100, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. And and, and that was uh, a one-dimensional game. And and the, the thing, my takeaways for that wasn't a very good quarterback, but guess what? He's had some good games against some other people, and he's on a trajectory to be, a, a, you know, they, they like this kid. He's their starter. Hawaii took him out of the football game because he played so poorly and gives Hawaii some credit. They were penetrating. They were hitting him. They were giving him some different looks. So it wasn't that this kid was just a bad high school uh, quarterback playing against the, the Rainbow Warrior defense. And, the, you know, the, the most disconcerting thing, I think, is you lost Eugene Ford. You didn't have Donovan Dalton on this trip. Sterling Ortiz, I guess, was injured as well. Kai Kaneshiro missed a couple of tackles, you know, and he's going low on those tackles. They're tough tackles. Trust me when I tell you, Greg Bell is a Sunday player. Chance Bell is a very good running back. Bird has beaten a lot of people already, uh, Utah State included in that mix. Um, but they've got to tackle better, better, Rob. But that being said, and again, I'm not an apologist, but when you're attacking gaps, what they call gap cancellation, when you're talking about uh, gap integrity, if that running back does find a seam, there's no second level anymore. There's no linebackers because they're attacking gaps because that's what it takes for Hawaii's defense to really play aggressive. That means that free safety are those corners are the strong safety now has an open field tackle where a guy didn't go east and west, where a guy is not breaking out of some type of leg tackle. They're tough tackles. You know, they've got to tackle better. They got to somehow get this guy down. But I guess that's the thing that I think was the biggest weakness is tackling at the third level. And Hawaii's going to have to get better at that. No, and I'm glad you said that the, uh, about the apologists. Because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you and I both, I mean, we, we watched the game together, essentially, uh, you know, at, at the Spectrum Sports Studio. We talk about the game after. We're talking about the game here. And by no means are we saying like, hey, nothing's wrong with this team. Don't you worry about it. This team's going to go undefeated from here on out. No, that's not the issue. The issue is properly identifying what they did well, what they did not do well. And, and I think in this day and age, it's so easy 
to, especially in a loss, just burn the whole thing down. Everyone did horribly. And that's not the case in, in this. And I think the University of Hawaii defense, um, although had their issues, like you just mentioned, there was a lot to take away from that game. And, and really, I mean, if you were to, and, and keep in mind, head coach Todd Graham said after the game that no, you win as a team, you lose as a team is not pointing fingers. Um, we're not a part of this team. So we will say, that when you look at the synopsis of this football game, the offensive struggles is what led to a 34 to 10 loss, right? Yeah. And again, people have to realize San Diego state leads the nation in takeaways in, uh, since 2011 in terms of interceptions. I mean, in terms of, you know, this, uh, they're a tough team for any offense to have any type of consistency. They pride themselves on taking the football away, stopping, getting it back to their offense. And, you know, again, as good as Boise State is, I don't think they're better defensively than San Diego State. But at the same time, we expect more from this offense. We expect more from this offensive line. We expect Chevron to have more, more consistency, although this was a factor of more duress than it was him throwing bad passes. Uh, it was more of a protection problem. But again, you know, every week we're seeing different receivers and that's a good thing when they can get into the rhythm and get into the flow and make catches and stuff but also are they running the proper routes because you you're rotating so many guys and are they getting better weekly is this passing game getting better weekly and Todd Graham said it himself he didn't really like the offensive identity in the past games because they weren't throwing rhythm passes early and giving Chevron some confidence and getting the ball out of his hands it seemed like they never got into rhythm at all this game. All right. Again, so the University of Hawaii falls at San Diego State 34 to 10. They're now two and two on the season, as we talked about all last week and really right before the game. Uh, that pretty much puts them on the outside looking in in regards to uh, Mountain West Conference title contention. The top two teams in the MWC based on winning percentage will play for the conference title. There are no divisions. And so you look at not only being two games behind the three teams that are undefeated so far in the Mountain West Conference, but now you're also two games behind in, in a way to San Diego State because if you finish with the same record, they have the tiebreaker. So you're looking at almost three games behind. And so it's a whole mess. So the University of Hawaii definitely needs miracles to happen in order to finish in that top two in the Mountain West Conference. And coming up next is Boise State at Aloha Stadium on Saturday. And before we talk about that game, let's open the Bose football final mailbox, where, of course, you can always drop me a line, finding me on social media, at Rob DeMello Instagram or Facebook, at Rob DeMello K-H-O-N on Twitter. And I'd like to also note that many of the questions that were sent in were covered and touched up on by us here during the show. So much mahalo for sending in your questions and comments. Uh, mahalo for supporting Bo's Football Final for sure. Um, but we only picked out three uh, to, to have on the show here today. And so we'll start with Paniolo36 on Twitter, who is asking the question, would there be any negative to having Calvin Turner in the backfield at all times at RB1? So as we talked about, we see him play so many different positions here for the University of Hawaii, but Paniolo36 wants to know is, would there be any negative to just having him at running back full time? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm not sure exactly how advanced he is in terms of protection. And that, and that is, and not only is it uh, mental, but it's also physical in terms of him picking up uh, 
defensive ends if they slide away from him, him scanning and coming backside. I'm sure he can get that because he's such a talented athlete. He seems like a smart kid. Um, but I, I do think, you know, there's room to grow the Wildcat, and I think we'll eventually see some passing off the Wildcat. I think uh, there is room to continue to get the ball in his hands with uh, jet sweeps, uh, bubble screens, uh, continue to uh, evolve in the passing game. He is the most uh, dynamic player, I think, on this football team because he can make you turn an average play into a great play. He has the ability to, and he's exciting. Just uh, when the ball's in his hands, it's electrifying. I would love to see him be a bigger part of this offense. Yeah, and so so what you're saying at the end of the day is not necessarily he needs to be a running back, um, but you do need to find more ways to get him the football and. Uh, that's what they're trying to do, it appears, uh, at the University of Hawaii and using him in so different many ways. Robin, I mean, are we giving up on a guy like Miles Bam Bam Reed who had yeah, over yeah. 900 yards last year and his average in his whole career over five yards carry? Are we giving up on a guy like Day Day Hunter who every time he's in the game, it's one step away from breaking it too. So it's not like they don't have good running backs. It's just that there's only one ball and you got to somehow get it in the hands of Calvin Turner. Yep. All right. Well, Kelly on Instagram wants to know, I think the defense has improved from previous years, but the offense has taken a huge step back. Why didn't coach Graham keep the run and shoot and just change the defensive playbook? And so before, before you answer, I, I like to just throw something out there that, you know, the, the run and shoot worked obviously with, with Nick Rolovich and Craig Stutzman. It worked with June Jones. It worked when coach McMackin was the head coach and, and you had Rolo and Ron Lee uh, calling the shots. And, but at the end of the day, they ran those systems because they know those systems. And so this isn't, this isn't Madden where, where, you know, based on your opponent, you just change the offensive playbook and then the, the players know everything and the players and the coaches know everything. I mean, they're going to coach, what they know. And so I, I think that the thought of someone that's never coached the run and shoot uh, coming to the University of Hawaii and because the players know the run and shoot system, being able to then just become a run and shoot coach, uh, I think that's something that really needs to be uh, taken into consideration. Rich? Yeah, let's first start off by saying that, you know, when you look at head coaches, defensive minded head coaches, um, and you can go from Nick Saban before he had Sarkeesian and Kiffin and Tua. You can go to Rocky Long throughout almost his whole career. You look at Brady Hoke now. The one thing that we have to feel blessed about having Todd Graham is he does believe in defense and special teams, but it's not just rhetoric when he says he wants to throw the ball 15 times down the game vertically. It's not rhetoric when he says, you know, he likes explosive plays and uh, it's air raid. It's, it's all the type of things it's actually, that's his belief system. So we're, we're blessed to have a defensive-minded head coach who loves special teams, but also wants to score points and wants to put the ball in the air. So let's stop thinking that, you know, this is going to be June Jones. Because as you mentioned, Rob, June Jones knows the intricacies, the nuances. Miles Davis does. Nick Rolovich and Craig Stutzman, those guys are learning that. There are remnants of the run and shoot, but there's remnants of the run and shoot in every single offense in the United States when you go four wide receivers, which we call 10 personnel. I've seen run and shoot uh, plays in, in, in uh, ideology thus far this season. But for Todd Graham to be a full-time run and shoot coach, he'd have to hire Miles Davis. He'd have to hire Craig Stutzman. He'd have to hire June Jones. He'd have to hire 
um, I don't know, whoever knows this run and shoot, Rod York. But this is what he believes in. So he has to continue to rep this. We have to remember, these are new coaches. Todd Graham's been out of coaching for two years. This is a new staff that has had a COVID offseason or no offseason, and they're trying to get the timing and the rhythm in the passing game. When I was a coach in high school, the offensive line has to do the right thing. The quarterback has to throw the ball in the right place. The receivers have to run the right route against the right defenses. The run and shoot takes thousands of reps to master. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that we all have to remember, too, is that this isn't one of those experiment hires where he's a lifelong assistant coach and it's, oh, will it work? Will, will those philosophies? I mean, this is a guy that has 12 years of head coaching experience under his belt with 10 bowl eligible seasons where for those 12 years, it stops at Rice, Tulsa, Pittsburgh, uh, Arizona State that he averaged 36 points per game. So it's not like this. This is a, a coach that was winning games 14 to 10 for his entire career. I mean, he led the nation in offense uh, for a couple of his years as a head coach. So, uh, you know, I, I think give it some time um, before you start calling for different offenses or calling for complete overhauls of things. I mean, obviously, like I said, this is not an experiment hire. This guy has a track record, whether or not it will work at the University of Hawaii, whether or not it works in 2020, that remains to be seen. And that's the question. It, it's not philosophy. It's not playbook. It's not coaching, uh, you know, him being able to do this and, and take these thoughts and be able to put it onto the field. It has been done before. Hey, Rob, let me ask you some of these viewers out there. And again, we're not apologists. But Tom Brady looked like the worst quarterback in the National Football League last week. Look at this week. Look at, I mean, this is happening in this COVID world too. It's because a lot of times it's because of the lack of practice. It's because of guys being sick or injured, uh, you know, decimated, travel. There's so many things that go into a successful football season. And it seems like after the New Mexico second half, where like Chevron has arrived, they're going to throw for 400 every week. After the Fresno State game, is we're going to, you know, be this diversified offense that can run for 300 when we need to. This is a, I'm surprised because I thought the offense would have more chunk plays. I thought they could create a little bit more consistency. So this was a bad performance, but we've had probably six or seven good uh, quarters of, of offense, and we've had, you know, maybe seven or eight quarters of bad offense now, but it's a long season. Unfortunately, not long enough. It's eight games, but Hawaii's offense, I think you'll see it continue to develop a rhythm. All right. And this last question here on both football final, I mean, you, you can tell when, when the university of Hawaii wins and when, when the university of Hawaii loses based on my DMS and my emails and on my social media accounts um, because of the kinds of questions. And, you know, it's along the lines of, of Kelly on Instagram, you know, asking about the run and shoot it. And again, we're, we're not trying to bash your questions. I mean, these are the questions you ask. These are the answers we give, but Keenan on Facebook, um, uh, want, wants to ask, uh, is it too early to call this the Fred Von Oppen 3.0 era? And, you know, first of all, like we talked about that, you know, the, the Fred Von Oppen and Norm Chow struggles, um, 
one guy went 0-12 in a season, another went 1-11. I mean, you're talking uh, the, the worst seasons in University of Hawaii football history. Um, you're talking about lifelong assistant coaches that were trying to be head coaches for the first time. And so you can point to a lot of, you know, what didn't work based on that transition. Um, but we're looking at a two and two football team through four games and a team that beat Fresno state on the road. So, I mean, I, I just think it's, it's silly at this point through four games to even be throwing that out there. Um, as a former coach yourself, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I, I think that's foolish. Um, I think Fred Von Oppen was a horrible fit. Like you say, he's never was a head coach before. Norm Chow, unfortunately, was not a good fit either. And, it, and it, some of that is because he was at USC and in the National Football League and Hawaii is a different place. Um, it's going to, you know, time will tell whether Todd Graham's a good fit. But I will say this. When you have guys like Bill Belichick saying you're a great football coach, when you talk about averaging 36 points on points offensively on almost every way you've been, uh, when you talk about taking the ball away almost every way you've been consistently, uh, playing good defense, uh, believing in special teams, this guy's a good football coach. The, the right fit, that remains to be seen. But trust me when I tell you, this is like you talked about, alluded to earlier, Rob. You hired a head coach with a tremendous record of turning programs around. Um, I think he'll even recruit really good athletes. And I think if he's here long enough, he can be consistently good and occasionally great. But at the same time, I don't think, you know, two and two with this offensive line, with this quarterback, with the receiving talent they have, with Calvin Turner, I think we all expect more. I think that coaching staff expects more. But way too early to talk about this is nowhere even close to Fred Von Oppen on Norm Chow in terms of this coach in this start of his career. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I, I wish I had it in front of me, but I don't know how many times the University of Hawaii started two and two in Mountain West Conference play. If you think about it, since joining the, the Mountain West in, in 2012, I know uh, Nick Rolovich started 3-0 one season. It was a couple of years in 2018, but then went and lost – uh, three straight or, or whatever it is. Uh, last year, I want to say there were two and two. I mean, so it's a two and two start in the Mountain West Conference. Um, uh, but with all that being said, that is also a sign of of the uh, expectations changing in a program, which is a good sign. So frustration is good. But the one thing I'll say before we close the book on on this part is, I think a lot of it has to do with the culture right now in sports, and especially I mean, social media has a, a big part in it where. It's really hard to watch a game and not have a, a something you know tremendous to say after that game is over. It's this huge take, and that's part of the culture built by ESPN and Fox with their morning shows, and you know the Stephen A. Smiths uh, of the world, and um, Skip Bayless, and you know, and saying these incredible things. Uh, you know, I, it takes me back to when Todd Graham was hired, and, and I want to say it was like a week and a half later. It was Super Bowl Sunday, and we had a special Bose football final. It was an interview I did with him at the office uh, at, at the University of Hawaii. And I asked him the questions of, oh, tell me about the offense you're going to run. Tell me about the defense. Why are you here? You know, why do you think this is a good fit? You know, your recruiting approach. Uh, you know, and, and questions along those lines. And I, I'll never forget getting an email as soon as the show was over and someone saying, you gave them softballs. Why are you letting them off the hook? And I thought to myself, 
what? This guy was just hired to be the head coach. Like, I'm not, I'm not interrogating the guy for being arrested for something. Like, I, I don't quite understand this, this thought process in sports nowadays that, I mean, where I don't understand the, the pressure that you put on a coach the day he's hired. It, we need to stop with the, the uh, putting people's resumes on the line every second that they are performing in a sport. Uh, it's just crazy to me. Rob, I think if the viewer or the listener out there realizes that when you go into our first take interview, uh, when they go into production meetings, Skip Bayless and, and Stoning Sharp automatically going to be on opposite sides of anything. You know, whether you like, like you mentioned, if you're Colin Cowher, you like LeBron James. If you're somebody else, you may not like uh, LeBron James. If you don't like LeBron James or Tom Brady, there's some uh, Tiger Woods, there's something wrong with you. And if you think they're going to be great every single game, then you're going to be disappointed. But we're a politically divided world. We're also this world where it's what have you done for me lately? And if you haven't won a championship and it's like football is the ultimate team game. Todd Graham, it's cliche, you know, you win and lose together. And sometimes units are sides of the ball play more poorly than others. But if you don't think these guys are trying, if you don't think they're up, you know, 18 hours a day uh, trying to solve the immigration crisis, these guys work hard. And the fact that they're so criticized when they lose, and, you know, everybody always says, quarterback gets too much credit when you win, he gets too much blame when you lose. Same thing with the head coach. But again, if you look at the resume for Todd Graham, you will not think that this wasn't a good hire in terms of he has head coaching experience. He has won it multiple places. And, uh, he, and, he, and again, he plays good defense and normally they play good offense, but he believes in that. But it's not going to happen overnight, especially COVID 2020. Yeah, good points there, Richard. And again, thank you so much to everyone who sent in questions and comments to the Bose Football Final Mailbox. Again, you can find me on Instagram at Rob DeMello, on Facebook as well with that same handle, and on Twitter at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N. All right, real quickly, moving ahead now, it is the big blue elephant in the room, the Boise State Broncos coming here at 3-1, and one, facing off against uh, the Rainbow Warriors at Aloha Stadium on Saturday at 6 p.m. The game will be televised on the CBS Sports Network. They will be playing each other for the third time in 13 months because they played in Boise last season in the regular season. They played in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. You and I were lucky enough to travel to that game for Bo's football final. Uh, they lost 59-37 and 31-10 respectively in those two games. The UH program has not beaten Boise State since 2007. As, so Boise State has won eight straight in the series, 14 of the last 15 going back to 2001. With the average score from the eight-game losing streak being 46-12, to 12, uh, how huge of a challenge sits in front of the University of Hawaii football team this week? You know, Rob, I have been part of a huge loss to Boise State. I've been part of a win against Boise State. I've watched these guys throughout the year. This is the elite program in the Mountain West Conference. I mean, they've had their own television contract. They've been nationally good. They send guys to the National Football League. The coaching staff might have changed from Chris Peterson, but guess what? They're doing a lot of the same things, which is recruiting players with great character, with great work ethic, and they're getting more and more talented players all the time. This is the toughest out in all of the Mountain West Conference because they're better than San Diego State throwing the ball. They're very good running the ball. 
they're athletic on defense and uh, they'll take the ball away. So this is going to be a, a tougher test for Hawaii, but I expect Hawaii to respond because I think there was a lot of adversity. There was a lot of things that went wrong that you can coach on film, but if you're not ready to play Boise State, they will embarrass you because they have the ability to score both through the air and on the ground. So I, I think this will be a tough win for Hawaii, um, but I, 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 I also think that they'll do a little better offensively and hopefully defensively they can take the football away, but it's going to take uh, 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 just a hundred percent effort in a, in a in full performance by all three sides of the ball to beat a unit as good as Boise State. You know, one thing I want to ask you, and I know that when the big moment came against BYU for this program, you were in the National Football League and they had those wins in 1989 and 1990 um, against the Cougars, snapping long losing streaks, snapping heartbreaking losses. Um, but I, I was, you know, in 1989, I was seven years old. I was watching UH football. 88 is the first season that I remember watching UH football. And I remember going to every single game. And, and from that point forward, never missed a home game with my dad until I was out of high school. Um, but I want to know, I mean, how similar are, are they, are, are the two kind of situations where BYU being the arch rival, the arch nemesis, of the University of Hawaii football program for so long. And then now when, you, when I talk about 14 out of the last 15 times these two teams face, Boise has won. And Boise has only won one close game. The, the rest have been blowouts, right? I mean, you look at 2006 was close and 2005 actually was close too with, with Colt Brennan in his first season. And that was a shootout. Um, but you take those two out of the equation and, and there were lopsided wins for the Broncos in this series. So, uh, can you feel that this is a similar feeling to UH-BYU back in the day? Um, and, and I ask this because I don't feel that there's that same connection with, with the fans in regards to, it, it almost feels like they're more uh, intimidated and afraid of Boise State than it being like BYU that I remember being a kid of like, let's, this is the game. This is the big game. Let's go. Could this be the year they finally beat them? I don't get that same sense with the Broncos. Can you kind of try to relate those two for me? Yeah, I, I think some of it is the whole moment thing, the whole recruitment of the local athletes to BYU campus, the Jim McMahon thing, all the way to Ty Detmer, you know, and Garrett Gabriel. And that became an incredible rivalry. Whereas uh, this rivalry has been a little bit, you know, they both were a little bit lopsided, but Hawaii finally broke through in a big way. Uh, even when we beat Boise State in our, in our, year that we were 12 and 0 uh up in Boise State no that was a home game mm -hmm. um it was it was a breakthrough for this program but it's not their biggest rivalry because their biggest rivalry may be San Diego State but you're right I look at Hawaii the last couple of years and we've been to bowl games we've won 10 games we've uh, competed at a very high level and I think it should be more of a serious rivalry uh now than it was in the past other than the June Jones era um but I, I do anticipate that Hawaii will uh, play better offensively and score some points. I do anticipate that Hawaii's defense uh, will show up and play aggressive like they always do. And it will be a good football game. But for whatever reason, the fans have not bought into the whole rivalry like we used to buy into the BYU-Hawaii game. There may never be a rivalry like that again. That's very true. Well, I'll tell you what, if the University of Hawaii somehow pulls off an upset on Saturday against Boise State, I think that 
narrative changes very quickly and it would just be a shame that no one could be in the stands for it but everyone can watch it on television on the cbs sports network that kickoff is on saturday at six o'clock again boise state enters three and one overall three and oh in the mountain west conference the rainbow warriors are two and two rich miano thank you so much for joining us here on Bo's football final remember everybody every monday at khon2.com and everywhere you listen to podcasts rich much mahalo spectrum sports analyst and you can find him on twitter as well also on instagram rich miano 38 but richie rich have yourself a great week man thanks a lot everybody for joining us here on Bo's football final aloha